Welcome back or welcome to Bendy and Strong podcast where we talk about strength training with Ellis Danlos and joint hypermobility. My name is Annie. I'm your host. A little bit about me. I'm a competitive powerlifter, competitive bodybuilder. I've got a degree in exercise science and I also have Ellis Danlos and joint hypermobility. Today we're going to be talking about something that has been requested from one of my followers on Instagram, which is training after a flare up, getting back into training after you've had an EDS flare up. So we're going to get into that, but first I just need to give you the usual disclosure, which is I'm not a doctor. This is not medical advice. This is just me sharing my own thoughts and experiences on this topic. So this week I posted up on my Instagram story, a question box. And one of the questions was how to get back into training after a flare up. This is such a big discussion that I was like, you know what, I'm just going to do a podcast on it. So here we are. So before I do each of these podcasts, I write down a couple of notes of what I want to talk about. Um, And on top of my list at the moment is talking about what a flare up is for me, because I think that's important to make sure we're all on the same page. This is what I experienced. That's what maybe you experienced something different. So coming back to training might look different for you. So for me, I think it's almost, I think I can almost divide this into two types of flare ups. So we've got the acute kind of flare up, which is where things just go really bad, really suddenly maybe last for a couple of days, maybe up to a week or two weeks or longer. But this is more of a short term out of nowhere kind of thing. For me, this usually looks like histamines or get hives and lots of food intolerances that I wouldn't normally have. It could also be a lot of joint pain in other joints that aren't usually problems. So I've had like my finger joints flare up. The bad joints get bad. So my worst one, I think the worst two joints that I've got is my sacroiliac joint and up the top of my head, like the cervicocranial area, they get really bad when I get these acute flare ups. And the other thing I get is the high pressure headaches, which I believe is from the intracranial pressure. I probably have some other symptoms that I can't think of right now when I get my next flare up. I'll definitely know. But that's the that's the more acute flare up. So then the other type of flare up, I think, is maybe not even a flare up. It's just like a worsening of symptoms that that we can explain by something. So I recently had quite a bit of time off training Uh, in the last podcast. I mentioned that my dad died really suddenly and I'd moved into state at the same time. This was an extended time off training. This is probably the longest I've had off since I was about 13, plus the stress of everything. Plus when you're going through things like this, you're not necessarily hyper aware of your body position and all of this stuff that we with Ella's demos have to be always really careful of. My nutrition slipped, my training slipped, my posture slipped. So a lot of my joints were very unhappy when I did get back to training. So they're kind of the two types of flare ups, if we want to call it that. So there's the acute worsening, sudden worsening of symptoms. And then there's this sort of probably more long term or maybe even more explainable worsening of symptoms. It could be an injury. It could be that you've had some life stress. It could be that you've taken extended times off training and you're coming back. That's the second one. And that kind of ties into the original plan I had for this podcast, which was talking about coming back to training after an extended time off. So I'm going to kind of hit two birds with one stone in today's podcast. So without further ado, let's get into the first one. So the first type of flare up, I'm just going to be completely honest and upfront and say, I don't really understand it. I don't know what to do. It can be very different each time I have one of these and I wish I could give really solid advice on it, but I haven't mastered this myself. What I will do is I'll always prioritize rest. That took a while to learn. Don't push through when you start to feel like this. So I think that the number one thing is to recognize the signs and symptoms. I will do whatever I can to take time off work, take time off training, take time off social things as well, because that really takes it out of me when I'm having a flare up. So I'll start to notice the signs. It might be, say, hives on my hand 
or it might be a headache and I take medication and the headache doesn't go away. Okay, that's, I know this is what this is. Sometimes I get these flare ups just because I'm on my period. That can be another thing as well. Oh yeah, it's that time of month. Okay, I know that this is what's happening in my body now. So I'll prioritize rest. If it's not made much worse by doing things, sometimes I will go to the gym during, but very, very, very light and very, very, very tentative. I just go by feel. I don't push through. I don't have any expectations for the sessions. I'm literally just there to get moving. But to be honest, normally with these short-term flare-ups, that's what I can feel happening. I'll just take the time off and rest. Now, this is where we get this weird dichotomy with EDS and hypermobility where rest can actually cause a lot of pain. So if I lie down for too long, that causes sacroiliac joint pain and I get bored lying down for a long time. So I'll probably sit up and watch something in bed and that causes neck pain. So some Sometimes actually getting up and moving and doing things is actually less strenuous on my body than, than lying down. So when I say I get up, move about and do things, I'm not saying it to say, oh yeah, I'm so, I'm so fit. Look at me. I'm so amazing. It's literally just because it's a better option for my body than lying down. But I do try and really minimize stress. That's, that's kind of what I do. I wish I had a good formula for this. I know some people take antihistamines or I've got another friend who takes aspirin. Again, this is not medical advice. This is just what they're doing. They find it helps, but I have not found the secret for this yet. What's always in the back of my mind is if I take too long off training, it's going to really hurt to get back. This is again, not coming from a position of, I need to be so tough and hard and oh, my goals can't wait and all of this stuff. I I'm just very aware that it's going to really hurt me when I try and train again. And also not training for too long, my joints are going to start hurting as well. So I, it's a it's a really tough balancing act. I did actually get some flare-ups now that I'm thinking about it during my bodybuilding competitions. They were really bad and I didn't really have much choice other than to do what I could. So I just reduced back to the absolute bare minimum of what I can do without moving backwards. So like with bodybuilding, obviously you're dieting, you're training, you're doing cardio, you're doing your posing. I probably just stuck to doing the diet, sticking to the diet. If I could, maybe some light training or light cardio, but just did the bare minimum of what I could do while still moving forwards. But again, that's in a weird position where I've got this deadline for a competition and I need to meet these certain criteria. So I don't have much room to do anything different. What I would say is for the next bodybuilding comp that I do, I'm going to give myself a lot longer, either that or come into my prep a lot leaner so that when the flare ups do happen, I have more room to just rest and relax and not have to worry about, oh my gosh, I've got to get out and do my cardio and do all this other stuff because that just doesn't help. And I learned from experience. If I push through, it's just it's just not, it's not good. Like it's not going to get you anywhere. Coming back from the flare up, I would, if it's this short term flare up, if you haven't had much time of training, always conservative. Like whenever I come back from any amount of time of training with EDS or just in general, I'm, I like to be conservative. You really have to earn the right to push in the gym if you've got Ehlers-Danlos. So that for me means a sequence of really good training sessions where I feel good and everything feels good and my body feels good. Okay. I've earned the right to push. If I haven't had good training sessions, then I won't push. So if I'm coming out of a flare up, I haven't had good training sessions, so I will not push. I will do the things that make my body feel good. So the exercises that help with the pain that I'm experiencing, but I also keep in mind that the pain is not necessarily the normal EDS pain. So if I do the exercises that normal, normally help 
and all of a sudden they're not helping. I don't let that get to me because I'm like, okay, this is a different thing. I'm dealing with a different thing right now. You know, the, the overall inflammation and whatever else is going on. I wish I understood. I don't understand it. <laughs> this body of mine, I do not understand. So yeah, I don't know if that helps with the training after the acute flare-ups. Maybe when I talk about training after the longer flare-ups, the second category flare-ups that I talked about, that might help a bit more because I think that's for a short term. So I'm thinking like if I've had a week or two of rest with a flare-up, that's sort of the approach that I'd take for that. Now let's talk about this second type of flare-up, which is a more extended time off. So maybe you've had like four months off. Maybe it's been six months, 12 months, years. Maybe you've had an injury and you haven't been able to train a certain body part for a long time. And you're coming back into it, dipping your toe back in, slowly getting back into training properly. Maybe, I don't know, stressful life events, training's just taken a big hit. Whatever that is, as I said, I'm in the process of coming out of one of those periods Luckily, my body didn't flare up too badly. I wasn't completely crippled or completely frail, but it was quite unpleasant. Lots of pain, lots of just, yeah, my body was just very stressed and wasn't really handling anything very well. So let's talk about this coming back into this style of training. The first thing I will say is you're going to need a really slow ramp up period. And what do I mean by ramp up? I mean that the normal conservative approach that everyone has to training when they're returning. So even if you don't have EDS or hypermobility and you take time off training, you come back into training, you should be conservative at the start. If you're new to training, again, no EDS or hypermobility, you should still be conservative when you're new to training. But with EDS and hypermobility, it needs to be extra conservative and extra long. So if I've taken six months off training, it might be a month or two of ramp up before I actually get to training, like I'm feeling like I'm really pushing my body. If it's been a month off, it might be a whole week or even two weeks of this ramp up period. And this for certain types of personalities will drive you crazy. (laughs) I'm used to it now, but in the past, somehow I knew that it was the right thing, but my brain was just like, I don't want to do this. It was protesting. It hated it, but it's worth it. It will pay off. You have to, we don't have the luxury of just being able to go in and train. We have to prepare our bodies to train. It's kind of like that with everything. We don't have the luxury sometimes of even walking. We need to prepare our bodies to walk with braces and with warm up exercises. When I was competing in bodybuilding, I didn't have the luxury of just posing. I had to do my activation exercises before I posed. Otherwise I wouldn't be able to walk after I posed. It's harder, but it's, it's just, we have to accept it. So that slow ramp up period is really important. And if you're getting coached by someone who's not used to this body, they might not be as extended in that ramp up period and they might not be as conservative as they need to be. So I would just really encourage that if you're working with with a coach who doesn't understand EDS and hypermobility, that's a big one. The second point I want to say is be proactive with the rehab. I'm probably mentioned it before, but one of my main joints that are a problem for me is my SIJ sacroiliac joint, which causes a whole range of things. And they always look different and it always turns out to be the SIJ. Uh, I've got a really good rehab specialist that I work with for my sacroiliac joint shan't, and we're going to do some more collabs soon. So stay tuned for those. But I was doing Zoom sessions with him. I've said this before with EDS, but it's a constant changing of symptoms that we need to constantly be proactive about. So the way that most people who don't have EDS or hypermobility, the way that they mostly approach rehab is they'll get a fix and then they're fixed. But with EDS and hypermobility, the source of the pain and the problem is the hypermobility. So the source is always there. And we are constantly having to change and adapt our rehab program to match that. So what worked for you six months ago for your rehab for a particular issue, that exact same issue, the same rehab program may not work in six months time. So being really proactive about your rehab 
is important here. Like you want to do a lot of that stuff. And, you know, if it's proper rehab work, it should be hard. So you don't want to really separate out, oh, this is my rehab work and this is my training work. At this point, everything's kind of conservative. So your rehab work will actually feel like your hard work, which is great. That means that you get a hard workout and it's going to be your rehab stuff and you're really aggressively proactive with your rehab stuff. Now, the next point I've got is to know where you're going. What do I mean by this? I mean that just because you can't do something now doesn't mean you can't ever do it. But if you don't have a picture in your mind of where you're heading to, it's going to be really hard to navigate the things that you can't do right now. Here's an example. Like I said before, my SIJ has been a big problem for me. When I got back into training after this recent bout off, the main movement that I did was deadlifts. That's my faithful, (laughs) the love of my life is deadlifts. It sometimes hurts me, but most of the time it's really good. It's the easiest one to get to the point where I can train. If I've taken time off, I do need to slowly build into it, but it's the most, it's just suited to my body. I'm just suited to deadlifts. Squats, however, we have a very toxic relationship. And I was able to deadlift quite early on. In fact, I entered a deadlift competition um, after about four or five months of this ramp up period, just because I needed something to work towards. But at this point, I still wasn't squatting. I knew that I wanted to squat because my deadlift needs more overall muscle mass to get stronger. Muscle mass really helps strength. That's an everybody thing, but it's especially the case with EDS and hypermobility. I knew I needed to get stronger at squatting to help my deadlift, but I couldn't squat. So what I did is I did these weird rehab squats with like kettlebells and exercise bands and uneven weights on each side that I could do without pain. Cause that was basically the only way I could squat without pain. And I knew if I did those for long enough that eventually I'd get used to the squat movement and I could move to just a regular barbell squat. And that did happen. It took about six or seven, maybe eight weeks, but it did happen. So I knew where I was going. If I didn't know that that would lead me to being able to squat with the barbell, I probably wouldn't have done it. And then I wouldn't have gotten to the point where I could squat pain-free. So that's what I mean by know where you're going. Know what the trajectory is. Have a plan. Have an overall idea of where you're going. And keep in mind that just because you can't do something now does not mean you can't ever do it. You've got to earn the ability to do things with EDS. And sometimes that takes a really long time to earn. Some things aren't worth it. You know, like I could probably earn the ability to be a professional boxer but I don't know if it'd be worth all that training just to get my head punched in. So there's there's payoffs. But for me, I knew that the squats are going to really help me once I can do them. But I need to get to the point of being able to do them, which requires me to do these other things that feel stupid and that I hate, but I know will get me to where I want to be. So that's what I mean by know where you're going. Now, the next one is some kind of a program, some kind of a plan. Like I said, I entered this deadlift competition and that kind of made me actually have to write out a bit of a program for myself. And I don't know what it was, but previous to that, I was kind of maybe a bit more hesitant. I felt a weight on deadlifts and I thought, oh no, this just doesn't feel good. Somehow when I had this program, all of a sudden things started to feel good. And maybe it was because I had something a bit more motivation or maybe it was because I was like, well, I'm going to try the numbers, even if mentally I'm not quite feeling like I can do it. And I did it and then it was fine. There's something about that momentum that a program builds that I think is really helpful. Now with EDS, it can be hard because it's really hard to follow a structured program because you never know when your body's going to play up. So I would say, depending on your level of experience, your level of pain, your level of flare up or disability from the EDS, I would adjust the program accordingly. Maybe it might just be the exercises that you do without any weights or reps or sets, or maybe it would be the weights that you're going to do, but you're not going to prescribe the sets and reps for yourself. You're just going to see how you go with those weights. Or maybe it would just be 
do some kind of a squat movement, then some kind of bench movement, then some kind of a deadlift movement. But some kind of a program does help. The next thing I'll say is go light, especially at the start, focus on exposure. I learned this when I was doing a bodybuilding program. I got given this bodybuilding program by my coach and I was like, oh my goodness, I'm so scared of these exercises. What if they're going to hurt me? I haven't done them in so long. So I just did them with just bare minimal weight. And I was like, wow, I actually got through that whole session. I just did the movements. I didn't load them. I just did the movements and I got through the session. And then the next session I did it again and I probably didn't add much, if anything. Then after a while, I found myself adding a little bit of weight and I wasn't going hardcore with these, but adding weight over time. And then my body started to feel really good. And all of a sudden I could do more than I thought I could and more movements than I thought I could. So I'm constantly surprised. It's very easy when you've got EDS and hypermobility to work yourself into this little corner where you feel like you can't do anything. I'm speaking from experience here, uh, where you feel like you can't do anything in terms of exercises and training, but doing a little bit of exposure to some things can be really good. So don't set any expectations for the weight or how much you're going to do. Just expose your body to it. Again, it's earning the right to, to do this movement with a little bit more gusto down the line. Now, the last one that I've got, I wrote a little list. The last thing that I've got here is do things that feel good. So this is, this is really, I guess, a very much at the core of how I approach training with my EDS. And when I'm coaching people with EDS, how I approach that is find the things that feel good and do more of those. Avoid the things that hurt. And I, I know that sounds so simple, but there's a reason behind it. And that is that a lot of pain is caused by muscle imbalances. Not all pain, of course, but a lot of pains that we experience when we're training is muscle imbalances or something not quite working right. With EDS and hypermobility, someone can look like they're doing a movement perfectly, but there's something going wrong and it's hurting. Now, the reason I say it's probably a lot of the time or some of the time it's muscle imbalances is because you then go and give someone an activation exercise for the underperforming or weak or whatever muscle and get them to do the same movement again. And it could be completely pain-free. This is something I've experienced a lot of. That's why I say do the things that feel good. The things that feel good, especially if they alleviate your pain, if you walk into the gym, and you do an exercise and your pain goes away, that's probably one of those things that you need to train more of because that's an underperforming or weak muscle. Now, if you do something and it hurts, that's your body telling you that you've hit a threshold and that's not a threshold that you should continue to cross. It's a threshold that you should definitely take notice of though. If you say go into train and you do five sets of deadlifts and on the fifth set, you start to get a bit of pain. That's not to say that deadlifts are necessarily bad for you. It just might mean that that was your threshold. And at some point in the fifth set, when you felt the pain, you, something went wrong. A muscle wasn't doing what it should. Technique dropped, weakness, fatigue. And that was your body saying, Hey, we've hit the threshold. Now, again, that's not saying that deadlifts are bad. It's just, that was over your threshold. So avoid the things that are pushing you over your threshold. If it hurts from the first set, then probably that exercise might not be the right one for you right now. But that's a really, I guess, a great approach is do the things that feel good and avoid the things that hurt. It's not that you're being weak or soft or whatever, if you're stopping doing something because it hurts. Now, this is a big one that I actually get when I'm coaching people is they say, oh no, it hurts, but it's okay. I can keep doing it. If it's a good exercise, I'll keep doing it. It's not a good exercise for you if it hurts. The pain is a message that we're being sent by our bodies. And if that pain is coming on from the very first movement of an exercise, that might be the body saying this exercise is not the right one for us right now. If you then go and do something and it immediately alleviates the pain, that's your body saying, this is a really good exercise. So do more of the things that feel good. And again, Again, with the EDS hypermobility, this will change. My favorite glute exercise that makes my hips feel amazing might be a barbell hip thrust. And then one week, all of a sudden it starts hurting. And I'm like, oh, okay, I've used up my time on this 
exercise. I need to now go and find another glute exercise that's going to make my hips feel amazing because this one's kind of not really loving my body right now. And that's really frustrating, but it's just how it is. So do the things that feel good, chase that feel good feeling. And I would even add, if you find something that feels really good, do it as a warm up. And that's another thing that I've been doing since having this big break and coming back into training. My body just didn't have the same muscle mass and um, readiness to train that it had previously. So what I would do is I would do basically a backwards workout for a power lift anyway, for a bodybuilder, this is a pretty normal way to train. But for a power lifter, they normally do the big main exercises at the start, then do the smaller accessory movements. But what I would do is I would do the smaller ones to start with to get my body feeling really good, warm and ready. And then I do the big ones. So hip thrust, then I would do some upper back training, then maybe some leg extension, hamstring curl. Then I would go into my deadlifts. Only again, only if those warm up or initial exercises felt good. That is the, the, the way that I approach coming back after a flare up. Now, again, I have to stress with that acute flare up where the body is just going absolutely like storming. I'm not exactly sure how to deal with that. I personally rest as much as I can, keeping in mind that movement in the long run is good for me, but maybe in the short term is not what my body needs. But yeah, it's tricky. It's really tricky. But if you have any kind of extended time off, that second type of flare up, the longer term flare up, where you've actually taken time off training to the point where your body's a bit detrained. What I just spoke about there is the approach that I use to get back into training. So I hope this helps. I hope it, I don't know, maybe it, maybe it will bring people comfort to know that if you have a flare up, you can still get back into training. You can still do things. I've been training for a long time. I've had a lot of flare ups along the way. I've been training since I was 13. I'm now 30. There's been so many times over my lifting career where I have had to just strip back to nothing and restart a movement. So it's something that really hits the ego hard, but I've learned to just handle. And actually the other day I was in the gym and I was just squatting the bar, no weights on it, nothing. And I used to squat quite a good number when I was competing in powerlifting. So at one point I kind of thought, oh my goodness, is this, is this a bit of an ego blow? And then I was like, nah, you've done this before so many times and come back to hit a PB. So don't stress about it. Don't stress about how long it's going to take. Don't think, oh my goodness, I've been so much better before than I am now. You're going to get there. This is all part of the learning experience. You're going to become a much better lifter for doing this because lifting isn't just about muscle size and strength. It's about experience, knowledge, knowing what to do in different situations, having a bunch of different tools in your toolbox to use. So don't despair. Whatever you do, it's hard, but don't despair. It is possible to come back from a flare up. In fact, our whole life is just coming back from a flare up. So that's how I go about training after I've had a flare up, but hopefully it's helped some of you as well. Um, If it has, I'd love to hear about it. Feel free to send me through a message. My Instagram is Annie Short Strength. Also, if you've got any questions about what we talked about today or any suggestions for topics for future podcast episodes, I would love to hear them. Now, the other thing is we have a collaboration coming up, myself and a good friend of mine, Shant, who is the person who I go see for my sacroiliac joint rehab. Now, as someone with EDS myself, I know how hard it can be to find a rehab specialist or a physiotherapist who understands rehab for hypermobility. A lot of the physiotherapist methods, I don't know, just from personal experience, I've had some really bad experiences. It's a lot of like stretching and resting and lengthening when that's not really what my body has needed. So to find a good rehab specialist who understands hypermobility is hard. 
I've managed to find a few. I've got a few brilliant ones in my corner. One of them is Shant. As I said, he's an SIJ specialist and sacroiliac joint is a really common source of problems for people with EDS. As a result, I've sent heaps of EDS people his way. So he is very well versed with rehab protocols for people with hypermobility. And if you have a diagnosed SIJ problem, this is going to be really worth listening to. If you don't, but you do have hip pain, lower back pain, groin pain, anything around that region, it could also be the SIJ. This is a very misunderstood and misdiagnosed joint, which is one of the things we're actually going to be talking about on this collaboration. So we're going to do that over on my Instagram. We're going to do it as an Instagram live in the next couple of weeks, but we may also pull it across to the podcast. Just got to wait and see how it goes, but stay tuned for that. Now I might also end up uploading that to this podcast, but in case I don't keep an eye out on my Instagram for that Instagram live. I'm going to sign off now, but thanks for tuning in. And I hope that your next flare up is bearable and that the good days that you get in between are really, really good. I'll chat soon. Bye.